Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Happy Friday, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose podcast right here, sponsored by our good friends at JustTheNews.com. You can catch us on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. A lot to talk about, Gary. I want to get right to this Fetterman-Oz debate because I have um, suspicions about it. And my hunch is, after hanging around you for the last 15 years, uh, you might not violently disagree with my contrarian take. I'm not so sanguine. All this talk about his health and not about his dangerous pro-radical positions. He's for legalizing all drugs, taxpayer-funded heroin injection sites, a ban to fracking. He wants oil executives prosecuted and put in jail. I don't. It's not as we talked about this the other day. It's not his health that disqualifies him. Any Charlie McCarthy can show up and vote the way Chuck Schumer tells him to. Um, But my fear is that the Democrats are spinning his debate performance as a moral victory, right? And they might just, they might just unfortunately have a point with their voters. Democrats, they thrive. They've built their entire brand on, on victimhood and weakness. And here was a victim from central casting, I wonder, I fear that this sentimental claptrap might carry more than enough weight to pull him across the finish line. Well, you, you know, Tom, we, <laughs> the, the age we live in, the era we live in, um, almost any analysis can be forgiven. You know, I mean, it, you, you almost seem to be suggesting that maybe he intentionally did badly or seemed confused, hoping that Dr. Oz, who, by the way, they refused to call doctor during the entire debate. It was always Mr. Oz. We must call Jill Biden doctor, even though she's not <laughs> a doctor. But Dr. Oz, who actually went to medical school. He's a world famous cardiologist. He's right, a cardiac yeah, surgeon. He's, right. he's Mr. Oz. Um, no, I look, I've always thought that there was a big danger here that, you know, the, the riff on Republicans is that they're heartless. They only care about the wealthy. They don't care about people like you. I think that that theme has increasingly been um, is, is increasingly being rejected by the American people. But nonetheless, in this particular viewpoint, this particular event, this debate, You've got a Democrat candidate that is as far away from the values of working class Pennsylvanians you can get. So if you're the Democrat Party of Pennsylvania, the last thing you want people focused on are the actual positions of Fetterman and how he will vote in Washington, D.C. So what a perfect uh, opportunity for them to turn the debate, 
turn the election over something that at the end of the day really won't matter that much. Because as you and I have said, he's perfectly capable of doing the job of a Democrat senator. It doesn't involve persuasion. It doesn't involve reason or winning debates. A Democrat senator has one job to do whatever the Democrat leadership and the political left in America tells them to do. And as we've seen in Congress, you don't even have to be there, at least in the House. You can stay where you are and have a proxy vote cast. We found out the other day there's a guy in the House of Representatives, a Democrat, who continues to be an airline pilot flying all over the place. And lo and behold, he's got a 100% voting record. (laughs) Because of COVID, of course, you don't have to be there. So, yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I'm hoping that uh, while Dr. Oz was not my first choice, uh, I, I hope he wins. Uh, but I won't be surprised if he doesn't because the election really hasn't been about issues. And, well, that, and that's exactly the way Democrats want it. I mean, there is a predicate. There is a precedent somewhat recently that should scare us. Um, we did vote. The country did choose a brain-dead octogenarian just two years ago. They tell us Joe Biden got 16 million more votes than Barack Obama did. Their message, I think, with with uh, the Fetterman spin is that you Democrats, you're all losers and you're all victims, and now you've got a chance to send one of your own to the Senate. And and. Kellyanne Conway made this point that that I haven't heard anyone else reference. The guy already has a job that he never goes to. He's the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. He's been there 19 days in two years. He's been to his office 19 times in uh, two years since he was elected uh, lieutenant governor. If the Democrats had any respect for their voters, this is what I don't understand. After he had the stroke, uh, the Democrat Party should have put someone else in his place. I mean, there are all kinds of Democrats. What about this guy, Connor Lamb, who he defeated in the primary? You don't think that guy is is uh, uh, gnashing his number two pencils that this brain-dead, illiterate radical is at the head of the ticket, and this guy who fashions himself a moderate Democrat, of course, they're no such thing anymore. They are an extinct species. Uh, if Democrats truly cared about their voters, their electorate, and their prospects... The utter contempt, I think, here, Gary, is that they they simply assumed they knew that they were going to win, that there was no possibility that they would lose. So that's why they spent seven months lying to their voters and lying to the state uh, electorate that this guy is fully competent, he's fully capable, he's fully recovered. Uh, I'm just not so convinced that this was the slam dunk that a lot of our pundits are telling us. Well, you- I, I, Tom, I think you might have answered your, your own question. Why didn't they do uh, this guy, Lamb? And I think the answer to that is that the progressive left, and I don't like using the word progressive because that's a positive word, the neo-Marxist, uh, socialist left, fascist left, uh, w- would have gone absolutely crazy if they would have moved uh, out of the race clearly the most left-wing, committed left-wing candidate for the United States Senate, perhaps in the history of the United States, which is Fetterman, and put in his place uh, Lamb. They just, could, they just couldn't do it. So 
look, we we've seen races around the country, Tom. I know I you know <laughs> this sounds like we're probably making this up, but we've seen dead Democrats uh, win, and when they polled people people later about why they voted for him, they they said, well, he finished so strong. His closing arguments just swayed me, you know. I saw somebody quoted in Georgia, a Democrat operative quoted in Georgia earlier this week. I think it was on Fox News. And and this lady said, uh, you know, she was asked, well, what, what do you think about uh, the, the debate where um, uh, Herschel Walker did better than people expected? And she said, um, I don't really think you get it. Uh, elections in America are not about debates. They're, they're not about changing people's minds. They're not about making compelling arguments. She said this on the record. She said, elections in America are about your machine, your turnout machine. Can you harvest your votes? And we are absolutely confident. We are in a great position. We are harvesting our vote as we talk. And uh, I am confident we will win on election day. And Tom, that's by the way, if our if our listeners don't fully understand this, this is what the whole early vote thing is all about. The, the Democrats get a report at the end of every day that shows which of their voters showed up to vote. And then they go back to the households where their voters have not showed up yet. Bang, 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 bang on the door. Hello, John. Uh, no, she haven't voted. Got your absentee ballot right here. Or we got a ride waiting for you. Take you, the whole family, anybody you know, your friends, uncles, uh, get them right down there. You'll be back by time for lunch. And by the way, we'll buy lunch. So, uh, you, you know, I, I, Tom, I saw this, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I grew up in what was then a corrupt city of about 35,000 across the river from Cincinnati, Ohio, Democrats harvested votes in that city. They would go to the bars and literally scrape the uh, uh, the alcoholics off the sidewalk, throw them in a van, uh, take them down, vote them, and give them a fifth of whiskey. And everybody knew it. I remember one of my earliest experiences of understanding that politics was not actually winning a debate, that... Um, me and other high school students went door to door checking voter registrations and a crime syndicate uh, linked with the Republic, the Democrat Party controlled the whole city government of, of Newport, Kentucky. They controlled the police department. So if you were pro police in Newport, you were for the crime syndicate. So we, uh, even as high school students, we were looking at the voter lists and our antenna went up because there was one address in which 47 people were registered to vote. It struck us as suspicious. So we went down to that address, and Tom, I kid you not, the, there was no house at that, that address. That address would be the address of a house if the police parking lot was not there. <laughs> All the policemen that were taking graph from the crime syndicate were registered to vote from a non-existent house that was their parking lot. Uh, and that was just one example of the corruption all the way back in the, in the, you know, the, the 1950s and 60s. 
So we've been up against this machine for a long time. It just is hilarious to see newspapers all over America constant, oh, this idea that there's corruption in elections in America. There's been corruptions in election in Amer- elections in America forever, and it tends to be corruption that happens in parts of the country that are overwhelmingly, I mean overwhelmingly, 100% for one party. Uh, where would that be? That's the urban areas of America. All over America, Democrats get votes that resemble Eastern Europe under uh, communism. Hillary Clinton won 97% of the vote in Washington, D.C., which I think is why uh, the January 6th industrial complex is so insistent on finding any way to indict former President Trump because he would face a trial in Washington, D.C., where Hillary Clinton won a Bolshevik Soviet-style 97% of the vote. You're listening to the Bower and Rose podcast right here on JustTheNews.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back, everybody. Tom and Gary with you on a Friday. A lot to talk about. We just went through the the Fetterman stuff. Elon Musk closed on his Twitter acquisition uh, late yesterday. The media making a lot of that. The Democrats, uh, their hair is on fire. There's 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 total meltdown. Um, and I think again, this is me pouring you know water on good news. The skunk at the garden party. Republicans thrilled at the acquisition. They think it's finally the the uh, the end of the culture wars, the end of the national establishment campaign to cancel conservative voices. I wonder. I mean, the media is still able to completely control narratives despite their collapsing ratings, their collapsing revenue. Uh, and they're cratering credibility. I saw one poll, 7%, <clears throat> pardon me, 7% of the American people have complete trust and faith in the media. Um, but they're, they're, they're able to create and impose their establishment opinion, but because the media outlets that try to fight against them don't have a fraction of their resources. The left doesn't win these cultural battles because their positions are more popular. They're clearly not. It doesn't have to because the narrative is everything. The media is everything. They win because they create the narrative, they shape the narrative, they control the narrative, and the narrative is controlled by the media, which in turn is controlled by the left, which is why we have got to support not just the Elon Musks of the world, but we've got to support and fund outlets like our own Just the News that are fighting back. I think we still, the Musk thing was, is a great victory for free speech, but we got a long way to go. This battle is far from over. Yeah, I mean, but I just want to point out to people, you're the guy that accuses me of always seeing the glass half full and, uh, you, you know, you keep... Uh, no, half going, empty, half empty. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, whatever. Actually, uh, one-tenth empty. <laughs> so, um, okay, here's how I see it, Tom. The, the, 
the left is, to a person, believes that the arc of history takes America to them, that in every case we are constantly moving further and further to the world, to the nation that the left wants. And I think this has really upset their uh, their apple cart. They're supposed to be taking over every media outlet. And once they get something, they keep it. Then they go to the next media outlet. You know, they took over a lot of American newspapers years ago, but there was still in almost every state one flagship newspaper that could be counted on to be the Republican newspaper. Those have been taken over. So to see a big platform go from... Uh, it, well, not that many years ago, Donald Trump used it to his great advantage to win the presidency. Then the left just went into complete lockdown on Twitter. And now you've got Musk coming in there and sending the people that banned Trump uh, out the door with, of course, they get big you know, $50 million bonuses. I'd like to be fired like that. Please, somebody <laughs> fire me. Give me $50 million out the door. But I, I think this is very upsetting to them. And I put it in the same category. Each of these cases are a little bit different. But Joe Rogan, um, even a guy like Bill, Bill Maher, who is a leftist leftist, but even for him, it's getting so crazy, he can't, he can't take it anymore. So he's been off the reservation over and over again. Even somebody like Tulsi Gabbard or and now, you know, Elon Musk, um, there, there's more and more people. Uh, the the lady that wrote the um, the the British lady that wrote all those now those uh, books. J.K. Rowling. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's now being. You know, they're trying to cancel her because she won't buy into the idea that a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy, and they ought to be left into the girls' restrooms. So I I think. You know, while the press focuses on the incredible split in the Republican Party, Liz Cheney is going to lead millions of people out of the Democrat Party, out of the Republican Party. The real split in America is happening right in front of our eyes as normal liberals who we still disagree with about a lot. But these normal liberals cannot take, cannot continue to participate in an increasingly neo-fascist Democrat party whose default position is not to win a debate, but to censor, to send thugs, to break up demonstrations, to cancel speeches, to not let anybody uh, speak publicly uh, if you're off this reservation. So I see it as a sign of progress and, and may, uh, may his number uh, grow by many times. You know, it's interesting. There are so many Hispanics that now are telling pollsters they're going to vote Republican. 41% in a recent survey. I can't recall who the survey was. 41%. Um, I'm wondering how long it's going to be before the media stops referring to them as Hispanics and starts calling them um, as Hispanics, quote unquote, transition to the Republican Party uh, until Hispanics become part of the uh, white supremacist patrimony. Well, you know, Joe Biden's already compared them to tacos. So, I mean, I don't know. Can it get worse than that? Tacos. I mean, it's a uh, look. They, the 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 uh, Hispanic Congressional Caucus has already made it absolutely clear that they will not allow. Uh, and they've already turned down the Hispanic lady that won one of the heavily Democrat districts in in uh, a border district in you know, Florida. Texas. Yeah. Yeah, they won't let her into the Hispanic black uh, Hispanic 
uh, caucus because it isn't an Hispanic caucus. It's an Hispanic Democrat caucus. What are they going to do, though, when half of their demographic votes Republican? I think, I predict the media will, as the New York Times did a couple of years ago in one of their truth be damned moments, referred to a conservative Hispanic as, quote, a white Hispanic. I think it's not going to be too long before the media starts categorizing uh, Hispanics as, as white, part of the white supremacist movement. They can't, they got to be very careful about the, the Tom, just say it for the, for the whole ethnic group, because without, they, they've got to win them, they, they got to win these folks back somehow. You, you know what they say, uh, you know why they the, the wrath comes down on on the heads of Jews, American Jews. Uh, it, it's because they and and Hispan and uh, Asian Americans are are considered to be white adjacent. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've never heard that term. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. They've got a whole. They got a philosophy on everything. So I think it's mostly with Asians. But if you're white adjacent, white. Well, adjacent. I've never heard that term. Yeah, the, white you, adjacent. Are, yeah, you making, you, are you making this up? Barbara? No, no. You you benefit from the white supremacy. We got it. It comes out of our pores, and you know, gives these uh, Asians a leg up. So, uh, look, this week, by the way, I'm sure you saw this. We had the president of the United States tell us that uh, the lack of room in seats on airplanes is a serious problem. Yeah, we all agree. I finally agree with, with Joe Biden about something. And then he goes, and it particularly negatively impacts uh, low-income and minority people. So did he just call low-income and minority people fat or have a, you know, was that a vague reference to butts or something? I, I don't know. They've, are, they've already tried to walk that back. They've already, they now claim it has nothing to do with weight. It has to do with height. Because of the legroom issue. So airline seats are racist. And I will agree that airline seats are obnoxious. They're well, anti they're anti everybody. Well, sitting <laughs> in them for a lot of people are the equivalent of being waterboarded, you know. <laughs> but uh but so you know, uh, Fetterman's wife uh the other day trying to explain why they bought a mansion that had a big swimming pool was well she said, as you know, uh, swimming has been a very racist uh, thing in America, and, and we wanted a big swimming pool at the mansion so we could help the poor and minority youth of Pennsylvania uh, to be able to swim in our pool. So all over America, bus caravans are heading to the Fetterman Mansion to take a number so they can jump in a pool. I mean, I, you, you know, is there anything in this country that they won't try to racialize, use to turn Americans against each other based on the color of our skin? Uh, Tom, is it possible that the whole Biden administration is actually some sort of secret operation by us to turn Americans against the nuttiness of the left? <laughs> if you think things are bad, I got to ask you this question. The Biden administration on Monday released its national defense strategy. Have you read it? I, I saw the headlines. I I, I was do you, turned do you, off. Do, do you want some advice? Yeah, don't read it. Don't read it. Yeah. Uh, I've read it. It's 28 pages. I did word searches. Climate change comes up. This is the this is a document for folks that for the 99 percent of Americans that don't know because they have better things to do. This is a congressionally mandated 
law that each new administration must, must produce within the first 12 months, and of course it's been two years for this one, um, a national security document that outlines to the American people and the world the national security priorities and objectives of the American government. Now, this strategy mentions uh, climate change. Climate change is obviously the greatest national security threat that, that uh, the United States has ever faced. They mention it 63 times. We refer to China, uh, the PRC, and or Beijing. I did those three word uh, searches 60 times. Um, and the document, I mean, there are some relatively good things in it, but the document portrays uh, all these efforts by the authoritarian regimes around the world to contest our strength and to challenge us as threats that are not as great as climate change. In fact, a whole big section on China, which is good, uh, but then it argues after all the areas where we have to compete with China that we must cooperate, that there are areas that are just too important and we have to cooperate. We have to keep the dialogue open with China on uh, climate change. It undercuts its own warnings about China. Um, its segment on military modernization, what we have to do to meet the Chinese challenge. China now has a bigger Navy than we do. First time since the end of the Second World War that that's, that's been the case. By encouraging cooperation, there's a whole segment in this that trashes our own military. A whole segment on violence against women on promotion of gender identity, affirming care and support. And yesterday, the administration releases again its one-year overdue nuclear posture review, same kind of uh, predicate as, as the um, national security document, um, where it claims that our response to China and Russia's rapid increase in tactical nuclear capability, uh, the big headline out of the nuclear posture review, my phone just fell down, I apologize, is that we are, uh, uh, the Biden administration is canceling uh, a planned nuclear sea launch cruise missile program. Uh, at the same time, the threat of these tactical nuclear uh, weapons used by Russia uh, and, and less aggressively by China um, uh, far outstrips the threat of strategic. The difference between tactical and strategic, of course, tactical is. Uh, you know, short term, you use it for battlefield purposes. It doesn't need to be an intercontinental ballistic missile. Strategic nuclear weapons are Armageddon, World War III, the end of humanity, the end of civilization. So Biden is shifting our nuclear capability at the very time the risk of tactical nuclear war increases by decreasing our ability to deter it. Uh, and that's been in focus of the Trump administration uh, and even the Obama administration. I, I just don't get what in the world our national security policy is. Tom, what you just described is exactly what an enemy would write if they had infiltrated our government and were attempting to put together a defense strategy that would mean ultimately the end or the surrender or the irrelevance of America on the world scene. And it, it you know, it's, it raises interesting questions. I mean, what in the world is going on? This stuff makes no sense. This is a document that is read mostly by people like us and people that are defense experts and the foreign governments of other countries. Exactly. The Chinese uh, intelligence apparatus. That's exactly yeah. who reads it. 
Yeah, so you're you're not even pandering to your left wing loony base when you write this. You know, the in, in the salons of San Francisco and uh, uh, you know the bathhouses and the and the wherever the transgender radicals get together and the pro abortion crowd, they're not sitting around reading a, a you know a, a this thick paper on you know, what America's defense challenges are. So the fact that they would put that in here. It is in itself a sign of some deep, deep problem in, in, the, in the very core of our country, among the people that are supposed to keep us safe. Tom, I don't know why in the world there is not more sign of dissent at the Pentagon. It, it really tells me that this rot goes very, very deep. When, when you're walking around saying the biggest defense problem we're facing is you know, climate change or the biggest problem we're facing is uh, we don't have full equity for trans soldiers or we just need more women on the front line in combat or, or you know, a really good idea is to get all the Christians out of the military. Now, that ought to make your ears perk up because, you know, people with, you know, from that believe in the Judeo-Christian worldview grow up in families that often encourages those children when they're old enough to go into the U.S. military. But we're seeing this crazy effort to kick everybody out of the military that wouldn't take the vaccine. And there's a list of a bunch of those people who didn't want to take the vaccine for what reason? They had religious objections to it. And the Pentagon, under the leadership of Joe Biden, will not provide that exception. So you've got probably 20,000 people that are going to be ridden out of the military because they had religious objections to taking the vaccine. Who are those people? Overwhelmingly, they are conservative Christians. And we wonder why recruitment goals are down 50%. You've got, and an our, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, this, this Mark Milley, quoted extensively in this document, um, <clears throat> He wants to, as he was famously quoted, he wants to under, he, he reads Marx, Gary. He reads Lenin, which of course is a lie. Nobody ever reads Lenin. What did Lenin, <clears throat> what did Lenin ever write that anyone ever read? So he's obviously not even telling the truth when he um, claims that he's a, a devotee of Marxist thinking because he wants to understand the essence and the source of white rage in the military. And you wonder why our recruitment efforts are worse than Russia's. I mean, we cannot recruit anymore because our armed forces have turned into a bastion, a fortress of, of uh, groupthink leftism. We've got to take one more break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast from justthenews.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Friday. Um, I got a, I got a, uh, a little Jeopardy quiz for Bauer here. Uh-oh. 
The World Series, as we all know, actually very few people know because nobody cares, the Phillies and the Astros, who cares, starts tonight. And you may be aware there's a big, big controversy. Here's the question. As the American media melts down over the fact that there are no quote-unquote blacks playing in this year's World Series, here's the, here's the, uh, <clears throat> here's the question, Bauer. You're not going to um, die on me on the air, are you? <laughs> no, that's um, that's the Bowery Rose show. Definitely needs Rose. If we're going <laughs> to see. I can't do your voice. Well, n- no, nobody can. Here's the question: uh, What do uh, Juan Segura, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, Hector Neres, Rafael Montero, Frambert Valdez, Martin Maldonado, and Jordan and Jordan Alvarez all have in common? Well, two things: one, they're playing in the World Series tonight. And two, they're all black. So we're being uh, chastised for a World Series that doesn't have any black players. I see, but that's not good enough. I guess the MLB discriminates only against American-born black players. Because ESPN is now claiming that, and this is a quote from one of their commentators this morning, baseball is a white suburban game reinforced by foreign labor. Wow. Uh, Tom, you know, when I was growing up, there were many, many uh, American-born blacks in Major League Baseball, and they were some of the greatest baseball stars of all time. You know, people like Hank Aaron and Frank Robinson and a lot, just many, many, many of them. And, and, you know, that was at a time when uh, America had racial issues that it needed to deal with. And they had, and there had been racial issues in American baseball, which had been overcome. And now these, these stars that before had been relegated to an all black league, which is, which is a real shame, were, were now front and center in Major League Baseball. They were loved by the fans of the teams they played on which is a tribute to the fact that the racism that America's always accused of is not this severe problem that I think the left wants us to believe. But over the years, it's an interesting question. Why did, what happened to make it less likely that a young American uh, black uh, man, a, a black boy growing up, uh, ended up not being attracted to baseball as much as they had previously been in the 50s and and 60s. And, you know, in contrast, you look at sports like uh, professional basketball, and, man, I mean, black Americans dominate every team. You know, it's a a really amazing thing. And I wonder if the issue here is that over time, uh, young black Americans are more attract, have become more attracted to the glimpse of professional basketball and the, and the sort of attitude you have in professional basketball. You know, it's, it's a, it's a very masculine game. You know, fights break out on the on the court, and people strut, and they do. And baseball, in comparison, is seen as sort of a boring, not a lot. Wait a second, wait a second, Bauer. You're not buying into this crap, are you? I mean, th- there are nine players on these two World Series teams 
that are black. I mean, what about Aaron Judge? I mean, it's you're right. It's it. The fact is that baseball has become a much more Hispanic game. It's adored in Latin America. It's it's uh, the national religion in the Dominican Republic. It's huge in. Cuba, in Japan, in Korea. It's a much more international game. Um, but, it's, but isn't all that cultural that people in those cultures, including among Hispanics, are attracted to it? But that over, I'm suggesting that over time, um, and I don't know why this would have happened, that in the black community, it's not that anybody was keeping blacks out of Major League Baseball. I think what's happened is that in the black community, being a professional baseball player just doesn't have the swag to it. Right. That's yeah. I. I think that's right. Yeah. My my uh, oft repeated line at my uh, middle kid's bar mitzvah, who was a huge baseball fan, um, was that his dream is to play in the major leagues. And I said, Jonathan, uh, I got to be honest with you, your chance of owning a major league team far outstrips the possibility of you ever playing for a Major League Baseball team. Um, well, you know, this trans thing keeps gaining uh, momentum. I'm, I'm going to, at some point, I'll switch sides because I want to be a trans center for a Major League uh, basketball, uh, professional basketball team. Well, you've heard um, in Canada this week, big, huge news. It's a national scandal. Hockey Canada, which is the organization, I guess, that supervises youth hockey in Canada and their farm systems that pour everybody into the NHL. Well, uh, uh, hockey finally discovered its problem this week. Hockey is too white. You see, uh, only 84% of those people that play hockey are white, and that's, that's far too much for the NHL to tolerate, far too much for the Justin Trudeau government in Canada to tolerate. They need more diversity. Um, it, last time I checked, there aren't a lot of blacks that live in Finland or any of the other Nordic countries or the Czech Republic. Not a lot of black Russians, um, not a lot of black Canadians, for that matter. Um, and I'm well, just it's wondering. Not, but it's a bigoted lead, Tom. Come on, on this, I'm going to disagree. I mean, it is a bigoted lead uh, league. I, I looked the other day. I could not find one professional hockey player that uh, used to be a woman. Now, why is that? That can't happen by accident. You would expect to have at least 20% of the hockey players once be women because we're being told that about 20% of our children now, you know, we're boys that want to now want to be girls. And, you know, where, where's all the gay hockey players? And why aren't there more, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is insane, Tom. I, I just, it, I, I don't know if we can ever regain sanity it, when everything is being looked at. You know, somebody wrote a, somebody wrote a, a little science fiction story about a future society where uh, everything had to be leveled. So if you were a, a, a tall player in a sport and you could leap high, that was an unfair advantage. And so they made those guys wear 20-pound weights around their ankles so they couldn't leap higher than anybody else. I, I, I have to believe that of all the craziness out there, people might fall, fall for big government. People may think, I, I kind of like getting those benefits. I would love it if government paid for all my health care. I can see the human nature in that. 
But I think people more and more are looking at all this other insanity and saying, leave my sports alone. Leave, norm leave normalcy alone. Enough is enough. What is wrong with you people? If hockey is too white, is the NBA too black? I remember uh, a group of civil rights leaders that came to the Department of Education angry because we didn't have enough blacks working at the department. And so Bennett uh, took them to uh, the secondary and, and elementary education floor, and we looked around, and he goes, now, about 50% of the employees in this particular area of the department are minorities, so how many of them do you want me to f uh, fire? So his point was, in some departments, you had a lot, you know, it was disproportionately maybe Caucasian. In other departments, it was disproportionately black. And why would that ever have been, a, a, you know, a uh, something that you had to look at in hiring people? Who's this guy that's out there now that's got, that's fighting the ESG movement? And he's... Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy? Yeah, yeah. I'll never get that name. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he's... Uh, to Bauer, he's the guy that's fighting the ESG movement. Right. Yeah. So uh, he's been saying, I think he's put up some ads, America's got to get back, whether it's in business, in education, excellence. We got to get back to excellence, that you hire the person that can best do the job. If that means you end up with a staff that's all Hispanic, fantastic, as long as they're excellent or all black, fantastic. But it's got to be excellence or excellence that's the – or we're going to be buried, Tom. This is a competitive, dangerous world. We're going to quota ourselves right out of existence. I mean the next thing that we can expect is to hear that Bowers Church is too Christian and my synagogue is too Jewish. We're out of time, but it was great fun. Have it, by the way, who's going to win the World Series quickly? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Houston again. I know, which is why nobody cares. I mean, yeah. this is going to be, I mean, who cares? The Phillies? The Astros? Anyway, have a great weekend, Gary. Have a great weekend, everybody. We will talk to you next week right here on the Bower and Rose podcast, brought to you by JustTheNews.com. <laughs>